0: spotlight on com slash store is the place to go to get a spotlight on collectible for the music and arts lover in your life or maybe even yourself go to spotlight podcast.com slash store today welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today, the spotlight shines on Marika Vening. Marika is a drummer and composer who joined us on the occasion of the release of her third record as bandleader, Reveal, out on Greenleaf Music. Featuring her longtime group, tenor saxophonist Rich Perry, pianist Glenn Zaleski, guitarist Alex Goodman, and bassist Johannes Felscher, The band is joined on three tracks by trumpeter and Greenleaf music founder, Dave Douglas. After several years in New York City, Marika is now based in Cologne in her native Germany, where she's observed and been personally impacted by the upheavals, personal and global, in the world today. Reveal is not an album of despair. Instead, the music channels hope, joy, and connection with an uncommon sensitivity amongst the players in the group. Marika studied jazz drums in Mannheim, Copenhagen, and New York City. And in addition to her performing and recording work, is a jazz drum instructor at the Zurich University of the Arts. Please enjoy our talk and the album, which is linked in the show notes to this episode. I've spent a bunch of time over the last few days with not only the new record, it caused me to go back to uh, future memories as well. And uh, just taken as a pair, those two records, the listener can really hear different facets of your compositional sort of toolkit, but also the evolution of of the quintet. Really wonderful work.
1: Thank you. That's nice to hear. Appreciate that.
0: Am I correct (laughs) in reading in your biography that drums were not your first instrument and maybe not even your second instrument?
1: Exactly. Yeah. I started off playing piano with the age of five. Oh. And back then I was really playing classical piano, doing a lot of competitions. In Germany, it's the thing that you do <laughs> being a kid if you do it a little bit more serious. And then I started playing flute when I was 10. And I was always also singing in in choir and had like voice lessons in the choir. And then I started playing the drums when I was 15. So pretty late.
0: Do you think there have been any sort of unique benefits to to having started late or to have had so much other musical education behind you by the time you picked up drums?
1: Yeah, I was able to read music pretty well already because of the piano, just reading music. And also in the beginning, I taught myself that wasn't really a problem because I was reading what's on on the sheet and then just translated it for myself. And I think also just like musical understanding and, and listening within the band that also helped playing the piano and just understanding how, how a tune is organized or what the form is and stuff like that, that definitely helped.
0: Could you talk a little bit about what that world of competitions are for, especially for young students in Germany?
1: It's really different. For me, somehow I was Good in the piano or I knew how to practice, I guess. I also was always really good at memorizing. So for classical music, that's really the key. I think my teacher, he kind of pushed me in the direction of doing those competitions. It's called Jugendmusiziert. So it's really within Germany. So you, usually you do the competition within your area, let's say, or like bigger city, actually. And then it's within the state you live in. And then once you get further, it's within all Germany. So it's actually pretty big. And the ones that are doing countrywide competitions that are also getting scholarships and stuff like that. My piano teacher back then, he kind of expected me to study piano, which I never wanted. But he pushed me in this direction of doing those competitions and practicing a lot of classical music. Yeah, I guess I did it because I was somehow good in it. And as I said, like I was good in memorizing music. and. Didn't really think about it, but I really never enjoyed it that much. I, it was always really stressful. I had to practice a lot. I didn't enjoy being on stage. It was like I had this kind of fear, actually, that I never had with the drums. So being on stage with the drums, from the moment on, I started playing drums. It was like totally different. And the classical world was like super competitive. And for me, it was never really enjoyable, actually.
0: It's a very interesting, I guess, paradigm to operate under, given that music and the arts, I always find it challenging when music and the arts are placed in the context of competition. Yeah. And to bring that to a child just seems very discordant from the true nature of being a creative being.
1: You missed the whole point of making music somehow.
0: Yeah. You mentioned that being in choirs was also a part of your musical development. And I'm curious, do you ever, do you imagine bringing vocals into your jazz work?
1: Yes. And I I actually wrote for vocals before, but the problem for me are the lyrics. For myself, I feel like I'm really bad in writing words, even if it's an essay or even if it's like a (laughs) booking email, you know, like something ridiculous or if it's like in school it was also it was never like my thing so lyrics is also for me just like this world of words that somehow I can't really I don't know access yes but I wrote for singers before but without lyrics actually
0: so what does that mean you wrote melody and you wrote vocal parts that someone else could drop lyrics into
1: yeah or more I, I work more with singers who actually um sing without lyrics
0: also interesting that's neat. All right. So you're 15 years old. You start with the drums. How did it come to be that after almost 10 years of musical instruction and having a musical life, the drums summoned you?
1: So it was a kind of a mix of different coincidences. First of all, the son of my piano teacher back in the days, he was a drummer. And my piano teacher, actually, although I studied classical with him, he was actually a jazz piano player. But back then, of course, like I was a teenager, I hated jazz and I didn't like jazz. But he always made me go to his concerts and I hated it. But the only thing that was quite interesting was where the drummers, actually. And he always played with really good drummers from Munich a lot or from South Germany. So that was cool to get to know them. And then, yeah, and then his son, he played drums. So he showed me a little bit. But then at the same time, this all happened like within, I don't know, two, three months maybe. At that time, because I started as a first foreign language, I didn't start with English, I started with French. And they called us because they said, if you start with French, you can do a French exchange kind of program. And then this came up actually. So every one of us, like every student, had a French exchange student. And so we were visiting them for like two weeks. Or something like that and stayed in France and like studied and stuff like that. And my exchange student, he happened to be a drummer as well. And he lived like out in the countryside, like super far away from school. So after school, we would just go there and then be stuck at his place. So the only thing we were doing is actually playing Nickelback on the drums, you know, (laughs) like all sorts of rock tunes. And he showed me a lot. And then when I came back to Germany, I was like, okay, that's it. I need a drum set. And then my brother's friend at the same time, he wanted to sell his drums. So that's also just by coincidence. So I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this drum set and I'm going to teach myself and then I'm going to take lessons. And it's what I did.
0: (laughs) That's incredible. What did your teachers and your family think of that?
1: Well, my teacher was surprised. He was, since I then actually enjoyed going to his concerts, he was okay. And he he liked that I was getting into jazz also really quickly. So he introduced me to those drummers. And I think, yeah, I think he was proud. And my parents, especially my mom, she was also very surprised. Like I, I have a twin brother, so we were always raised like we can do whatever we want. The the two of us, as long as we do it, really like, we really want it. And since she recognized I'm super passionate already about the drums, she was like, okay, we'll see what's going on. And actually back at the time I had lessons in private lesson in piano, in flute, in drums. I was singing in a choir, did a bunch of other things. I was pretty busy. So I think maybe she expected, okay, this is just a phase or something like that. But, yeah, it became more and more serious.
0: Can you improvise on the piano or flu? No, <laughs> that's fascinating, isn't it? And it, because it was a classical education.
1: Yeah, I think so. Actually, yeah. I compose on the piano, really only on the piano, um, but that's about it.
0: Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about your compositional work because I, I've I've read other remarks that you've made. I guess the way that I would summarize it is that you didn't really consider yourself a composer. I, it made me a little skeptical when i heard you say you couldn't write lyrics because i'm skeptical that you're not a composer <laughs> after listening to your work <laughs> i think you're just setting expectations low and it's a trick
1: <laughs> i don't know it's i think it's maybe also my background when i studied drums in in bachelor in in, in like in university in germany I was always interested in composing, but for some reason, like this access to theory and harmony, especially in jazz was really hard for me. And as that's the case for most of drummers actually and singers as well, just because we don't interact with that on a daily basis, right? On the drums. I mean, I have my rhythms, but that's it. I don't interact with harmony and stuff like that. Composing was always a wish that I wanted to do, but somehow not accessible also. For some reason, it was really hard for me to connect those two like theory stuff like that and and composing together and then when I came to New York I met Stefan Harris and I studied with him during my master's and he has a concept he's a very unique concept of composing and writing music arranging not from a theoretical standpoint but from a very feelings actually feelings and gestures and pictures and stuff like that and when I learned that, actually, when, when I studied with him, it, like, it made click, it totally made sense to come from this angle to composition and writing music because that's that's really music, right? It's about feelings and emotions and, and visions or like some pictures you have in your head that you're trying to translate to the listener, especially, I think, especially emotions that you're trying to show to the listener through harmony and through music. Yeah, when I learned his concept, it was like, okay, now I know what to do in a way. And then I came back to some theoretical stuff that I was checking out. I feel like I took a back entrance to like being a composer. Like that's not really the expected way. Like when you study composition, you like sit down and then you learn all like those theoretical stuff and you analyze scores and this and this and this. And I didn't do any of that.
0: That's a very interesting modality because it seems like it would make even the idea of being a composer accessible to someone who's not steeped in theory, who could maybe not even read or write music. It's basically giving them different tools to get the ideas out of themselves and into the hands of collaborators. So in that modality, do you still write traditional scores or can a score take different forms?
1: I've. I think at this point I still write traditional forms, yeah, just because of the music that I like to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I think because of that. Also, now I got a commission to write for a symphony orchestra, so now I'm going back in like really analyzing traditional forms, actually.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that the symphony, given the economics and what little prep time one gets with a symphony. They wouldn't be Mm -hmm. very excited if you came in with big cards with swashes of color on them and drawings and said, "Peter, play this." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who were some of the drummers that grabbed you, either before you picked up sticks yourself or as you started on that journey? Like, did you have sort of inspiration or influences?
1: Oh yeah, always Brian Blade and Elvin Jones. Those two of them like my main influences. Also Tony Williams, of course. At one point, I had a pretty big buddy rich face oh really and and, yeah it was cool and then actually to be honest dave as well (laughs) when i was young i had that face as many as we did (laughs) these days it's still brian blade a lot i love him and and actually i happened to to study with tony moreno who was one of his last um, students wow which was exciting to me yeah
0: oh and and the guy from nickelback apparently (laughs)
1: Exactly. I don't even remember his
0: name, honestly. It's interesting. Um, I should have said it out loud so that you would believe me, but I was thinking that I could hear the, or actually I could see the Brian Blade in your toolkit, especially when I watched your videos, the sort of the way you incorporate your movement. He's so expressive. Any opportunity to see him live and to watch him is just, he's so beautiful to watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I think so, too. And what he does to the music is, it's perfect every time, really.
0: The Buddy Rich is interesting as well, because I think your snare work is very dynamic. And um, as as a layperson, I'm glad I could hear some of that uh, before speaking with you. <laughs> yeah, me
1: too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buddy Rich really fascinated me with his technique, honestly. I was in the beginning when I played drums. I'm a left-hander left-handed so I switched I watched some pictures so I of course I started like the normal way these days match grip but then with my teacher back in the days I switched to traditional grip and I played it even even then and since then just because I'm left-handed and it kind of makes sense but Buddy Ridge I mean he's the master of course in traditional technique or in like all snare drum technique that's why it fascinated me
0: we'll be back with more spotlight on right after this break Did you know that spotlight on is completely self-funded by the team that produces it? We're looking for ways to keep the podcast self-sufficient without sacrificing the listener experience or the integrity of the show. The best way we could think of was to ask for the support of our listeners. Please consider making a donation to help cover our annual operating expenses. Go to spotlightonpodcast.com and click the word donate. If you can, please do. And if you cannot, please continue to enjoy the show. We're happy to have you as a listener. Thanks. And now back to spotlight on, do you write your drum parts in advance? No, no.
1: There's one song where I did that misconception that's on, I think it's on the first record Metropolis paradise. Yeah. That's the only song really I did that, but other than that, no, it's the last thing I'm thinking about. (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what to, what to play.
0: Something that's really interesting about your records is the engineering and just the, the sound quality of the records. That really struck me this morning because I put on future memories with fresh ears. I hadn't listened to anything else this morning. For lack of a better way to say it, the sound field, you could hear the separation, just the mic technique. It was just, it was a beautiful listening experience. The record just sounded so good.
1: Thank you. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Usually I, I, I don't really know anything about like microphones and stuff like that. I usually go for a really good studio that I know somehow or know records of and then just trust.
0: <laughs> it might be that it's the place and the room just as much or more than a specific engineer or maybe the engineer comes with the room or, but you like space, you like the place.
1: Yeah. And usually it's like an engineer of the studio. So that someone who knows the studio and who knows the microphones. I think that's very important too.
0: Yeah, Talk to me, uh, if you will, about Reveal, because as I was reading some of the material around the record, the press release and some of the other material, it sounds like, and I, I hope I do this justice, that there's an element of speaking to the artist's role in, in sort of their time or in this time. What was the impulse or the need to have that point of view with your music?
1: That was really the only thing I had left at that time or like during the whole past year, actually, just because there were a lot of really depressing incidences. And my mother-in-law, she got cancer like very quick and she died within six, six months. So there was a lot of private incidences and the world economics and the war here so close to Europe, it was just so much negative stuff going on that I was just like feeling I'm going crazy, or like I, ju- I was just looking for some light or some hope, and it was just really every single minute, and it wasn't a lot actually because we had to take care of of my mother-in-law. Um, it was I was really trying to sit on the piano and find some hope or find just like a far distant, bright future somehow, or just trying to maybe also distract myself actually by composing this music. Did it help? Yeah. Yeah. It totally helped. I don't know what I would have done if I wouldn't have done this actually. Then I would gotten very depressive probably.
0: Yeah, It's interesting that you use the, the word light in, in a different way context because that was something that stood out for me was there was a, a Dave Douglas quote where he referred to your music as light and went out of his way to say not light in terms of insubstantial or not having gravitas, but light in terms of how it moves and how nimble and and lithe the music can be. I thought that was a really profound insight into the music mm-hmm. because as I was listening, especially to the tracks on the new record on reveal that is such a strong element this sort of feeling of ease of movement
1: yeah one would think that the music would have gotten very depressive and dark in, in some way right but i was really trying not to because then everything was already depressive and dark so the music was really like the only element that i can hold on to and find some light and hope out of so that was very important for me
0: What's the role or the importance of sort of the longevity of your quintet? It's very rare to, to have that luxury of being able to keep a, a group together that long. For
1: me, it's really my baby, I would say, and very important because they also help me to compose. It's this, maybe that's why I also don't see myself as a compo- composer because I can not sit down and just say, OK, now I'm going to compose a piece of music and this is going to be like this and then it's done. I need my band in my head or like the sound, especially the sound of of Rich playing and also the interaction between guitar and piano. I think Glenn and Alex, they are just perfect together. And when I have them in my head, it's like for me much easier to express like my vision or like my feelings into something that's going to be a piece eventually. Another thing maybe that doesn't define me as a typical composer is that I trust them so much. I mean, you know, each other for nine years and have been playing for nine years. So I really trust them, even if there is a mistake in the notes or even if something is not really sounding perfectly. I don't really care because I tr- trust them and I know that they will have a suggestion or they will have a better idea, something like that. With people I don't know, It's I feel like, OK, giving them my music, itself. I'm not sure if I want to do that to open my set like this.
0: It's interesting that you singled out the guitar and the piano interplay because one of the things that really stood out for me was you have online two different videos of the girl by the window with different piano players on each version. What struck me the first listen was there's a middle end passage where the guitar and piano interplays is like it's so sensitive and locked in but also how different the two versions are. Like putting a different pianist on that bench really changed the music a lot. It was very interesting to hear side by side.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's like, I mean, this is Glenn, like he just, every note that he chooses is chosen by him. Like it's not random or not, okay, I'm just going to play this chord, but like every note within this chord or within the voicing is thought out. And it's very special about him, I think.
0: Given your love for the quintet format and how you are still expanding it in terms of taking it to interesting places, are there other configurations or formats that are attractive to you? Or would you do a drum saxophone duo? Would you do a drum only album? Like, What other configurations are are attractive to you?
1: I mean, I have a lot of ideas, but... Even for the third album, I was eventually, I was thinking maybe I should do something else. Maybe since I'm back in Germany and I also teach in Switzerland, like there's a lot of great musicians here as well. Yeah, for some reason, this is my quintet. As I said, it's like my family somehow. And I want to, also the, the sound is like so unique and it's, I want to keep them together. So if I expand, I think I'd just add people like Dave. I, I even had the idea like now... Studying symphony and like all the, like strings and stuff like that to to add a string player maybe or a string quartet. Alex just did a project with a string quartet which I really liked. So um, something like that. But I think it's gonna it's gonna expand and it's gonna be more expensive and more people. And because I can't, re- yeah, I need the quintet somehow still. Maybe eventually it's gonna change, but yeah, yeah. I'm also a very loyal person, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: when you perform live, and I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to this already, but are your dates with the quintet confined to the U.S.? And if so, when you're playing in Europe, who are you playing with?
1: I tried to bring my quintet one or two times a year to Germany or to Europe. So they were coming in November and then we had another piano player because Glenn, he becomes very busy. He like now he became a dad and he plays with a lot of people in New York also. So it's like really hard to catch him for two weeks or something like that to go on tour. So usually then I get a German piano player and now they are coming back in April. And also then we are shifting the bass position right now. So we have different players um, on the tour. We'll see what what's happening but yeah also Glenn unfortunately won't make it so usually when I go to New York we play the five of us but when they come to Europe it's mostly really Rich and Alex coming and yeah and now we are changing some base positions and trying out new people also.
0: Do you have the next project in your sights yet?
1: Yeah I mean I'm I'm also a side woman so I'm playing in a lot of different projects and that's always Going busy. And as I said, like the symphony project is like pretty time consuming. And I just started a new project with a guitar player from Finland, which is exciting. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting different music, musical projects going on.
0: Could you tell me a little bit about the importance of being an educator in what you do?
1: For me, that's really important. I learn a lot actually. So I teach in Zurich at the university there and we are in total. We are three drum teachers which is great because you really can exchange ideas and also problems you can talk about. Sometimes we do group classes, which is really important, I think. But also like the one-on-one lessons, for me, it's like really reflecting what I'm playing in a way Mm -hmm. and also trying to solve problems. But also getting to know a lot of new music, which I think is super exciting because every scene also in Europe is really different. So getting to know the Swiss scene more and their influences. And just also like the generations, like younger people are interested in something else than I was back in the days. So it's cool. I like
0: that. There's so much interesting music right now coming out of various parts of Germany, actually, and Switzerland. I, I speak to a lot of artists that are working in... I guess what I would call like an electro-acoustic realm, still playing jazz or improvised music, but bringing in elements of maybe beats or sampling or even ambient music. Are you primarily interested in acoustic forms or do you play around with electronics ever?
1: I just had this talk with someone else in Switzerland with a writer. And yeah, I have to say it's super interesting, especially in Zurich. There's a lot of influences from electronic music these days. I even have some samplers and I was even thinking to get into this direction because I get a lot of, I don't know, for some reason the last couple of months I got some requests for playing solo shows. And for that, it would be really interesting to do. But at the same time, it's like, it's a totally different world, right? A new world, of course, that I would have to study. And if I have time to study, then I have to say I rather study composition.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So for now, I guess like I'm, leaving that to the side, maybe in, I don't know, a couple of years or so.
0: I've had this conversation with other artists on this podcast, and listeners will have heard me say this, but my sort of musical hero is McCoy Tyner. He was very similar in that in an era where all of his contemporaries explored electric, he never Mm -hmm. went electric. And his innovations were much more around composing, arranging, bringing in African and Eastern instrumentation and there was enough to explore in that realm that there's not a note of electric piano on his records. It's fascinating that someone, especially of that era, that was what his generation did, but there were other avenues to explore.
1: Yeah, totally. In a way, I really want to be a composer and there's still so much to learn. And I actually still take private lessons in composing. And now with the orchestra, I just spent a day studying the harp. And I, I had no idea how the harp works. So it's like super interesting. And I think for myself, there's so much to learn still and also so much music to learn. I like new music, like contemporary new music, also from Eastern Europe, especially. Yeah, it's going to fill up some years for
0: sure. Are you still a listener? Are you able to listen to music? Because I've talked to some artists who they actually are careful about what they let in so as not to inadvertently like steal an idea or just, I'm not sure I can articulate exactly well what that mindset is, but I've definitely heard from some artists that they keep music out sometimes.
1: Yeah, I love to listen to music and I love to check out music and go to concerts because I feel like in a way I get inspired also. Yeah, And maybe it's also because I always love to transcribe drum solos and like grooves and stuff like that. And also that inspires me to check out new grooves or like format somehow those transcriptions into my own stuff. Maybe that's why I still really enjoy listening to music. But I can hear what you're saying. It's sometimes, of course, sometimes I come home and I just want to have silence. You know, uh, I don't want to hear anything. But in general, I really I go out to a lot of shows. I think it's also in a way studying. Because you, of course, when you go out to listen to music, it's like you hear something new, hopefully. I go to concerts where I guess like I'm learning or I hope that I learn something or find out something new that I can incorporate or develop. Or maybe at the end I say, okay, I didn't like it at all, but at least I was there. I was trying to be open and learn something new. I think as, as long as you listen and you're open, you still learn. And it's really important for me.
0: Yeah, I hear that as a theme across a lot of what you do, whether it's formal study or talking with other musicians or the students you work with, how it's all integrated back into what you do. I would imagine a lot of that is in your work as a sidewoman as well. When you get to be in these other contexts, you get to hear yourself play in ways that you don't play in the quintet.
1: Exactly. And that's also the fascinating part because I, I also get to play music that I usually wouldn't maybe get into. Or I see some, like some bands that I play. With. There's some really great composers, so I like get the music and and try to play it. But then I also try to analyze because it's a really good composition. So in a way, I can also learn as a composer. That's really yeah, I love it.
0: Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I've, I've enjoyed you. talking with you, and I I love the music. So thank you.
1: Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Thank you so much, Marika Vening. As always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson with theme music by QBurns Abstract Message. If you'd like to support our work, please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts or visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. There you'll find our free episode archive, weekly postings on our official blog, and a ton more. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch.